All right, if you were in the kitchen and you needed to measure a half cup of milk for a recipe, what would you use? A measuring cup. If you were uh, going to cut a piece of wood for a project and you needed to make sure it was the right size, what would you use? A measuring tape. If you wanted to measure your body temperature or the temperature of a room, you would use a thermometer. If you wanted to measure time, you might use a watch. But when it comes to devotion, how do we measure devotion? That's uh, maybe a little messier. All kinds of things can fall into that question. There's a story that is told in Scripture, not a parable, but a real-life story about a time when Jesus pointed out the devotion of someone, uh, an act that they had done that, that indicated something of great value as compared to what others were doing. It comes to us from Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. It's the story of Jesus in the widow's might. This is in Mark's gospel, chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Hear the word of God. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had all she had to live on. May God bless the reading of his word and may God bless our time together as well. So before we talk about giving, I, I, I want to, uh, because it's, it's connected, we're going to talk about devotion and giving and, and is there a relationship there? What might be the relationship? What, what can we understand about giving and devotion and, and the connections that might be there? Before we do that, let's just go ahead and soak in this story itself for a few moments. There is a literary setting to this text. Every text seems to have a literary setting. What goes before it? What comes after it? In the case of this story, we're at that last week of Jesus' life. He's in Jerusalem. He had already just spoken about the greatest commandment, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Then just before our text, Jesus says, hey, beware of the scribes. Beware of the, uh, the teachers of the religious law. Be beware of these scribes. Because they like to walk around with their, uh, their robes, their fancy robes, and, and they like to sit in the seats of honor, and they're even willing to trample over widows for their own sake. Beware of the scribes. And it's in this situation then he turns his attention 
from a literary context, let's move on to the physical context. He's on the Temple Mount. In fact, he's on that portion of the Temple Mount as you make your way in toward the sanctuary that there is the court of women. This would be uh, where Gentiles could not go, but the Jews could go. And this is as far as the women and children could go toward the sanctuary. The men would be able to travel beyond into the next chamber and the next quad uh, area. But this is the area known as the court of women. And in this area, there at the time uh, uh, in the first century, there were a number of receptacles for people's offerings. In fact, there were 13 of them, and, and they were in the shape of a shofar. So there was a smaller end and a larger end, and they would have the smaller end up toward the top so a person could put their coins in and yet couldn't reach in and take coins out. And each of the receptacles was labeled, and it could be scholars think that, that this widow is giving in to the uh, receptacle that is identified for free will offerings. And so on, in this courtyard, it says that there are many rich people. You see, it turns out that the temple was also the financial center for uh, the Hebrews. There weren't like little banks in, in different little villages. This is the, the, the um, place of commerce it has become that. In fact, so much so that when the zealots uh, rebel and they, they take over the temple in um, somewhere around 66, that, that they uh, go in and they destroy all the, the, the writings of debt, all the lists of debts that exist. Many rich people were there and they were giving into these receptacles as well. And then we're introduced to this poor woman, this, this poor widow and she puts two lepta into the container as her gift, these two lepta. A lepton was the smallest kind of coin in value. In fact, I read one historian that was saying it is the smallest coin of value ever produced in all of humanity. If we use Jesus' own calculation for the cost of a sparrow, these two lepta would not even be able to cost, uh, cover the cost of a single sparrow. Uh, very, very, very small amount of money. And she has two of them, and she puts them in the container. And what we have here, then, is a discipleship moment. See, Jesus is sitting opposite this area. He's watching and observing and seeing all that's taking place, and, and it... Uh, we know that Jesus is fully human, fully divine, and, and there can be, depending on how we're wired, temptation to think of it one way or the other. Is he just assuming things, or does he have divine insight of some kind, some kind of knowledge of her heart and mind? And, and well, we know Jesus is fully human and fully God, so we put those things together, and he knows. Somehow he knows. He knows what's going on here. And so he calls his disciples, and he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, disciples, there's something we need to pay attention to here. I want you to be aware of this and what's going on. He says, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. I think it was Jim Edwards in his commentary who pointed out that, you know, the word more stands out here. 
in contrast to the setting itself. There is nothing more about this woman. She comes off as poor, without resource, not a person to really pay much attention to, and yet Jesus does. She has put in more than than the others, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. And not just one of the lepta, but both of them. Other people who comment on this passage, they they point out that that having two uh, lepta gave her an option. She could uh, choose only to put one in and to hold on to one as a security, but she didn't. She let go of both of them. She dropped both of the lepta um, into the receptacle. There's a place in a Second uh, Corinthians, as Paul's writing the Corinthian church, he talks about the contributions of the Macedonians, the, the Christians up in Macedonia. He describes it, he says, for in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has resulted in a wealth of generosity. Did you get that? So their context for the Macedonian Christians was that they had extreme poverty, and yet at the same time they had this abundance of joy. And you put those, things to, those two things together and it resulted in a wealth of generosity. Here's this widow, extreme poverty, and yet in the temple she gives all she has into God's care. There's something about the woman that is incredibly unpretentious. Especially when we think about those scribes who like to wear their long robes and, and to take the seat of honor and the pretentiousness of the scribes, the, the exaggeration of their importance. Um, and here she is not pretentious at all. And she's not selfish either. We call this, or I'm referring to it as unpretentious, or we could say unselfish devotion. Well, here's what I'd like us to do with our time then as we move forward, that in the midst of this story, I'd like us to look at this relationship between money, generosity, and devotion. We don't just have an ethic on giving in terms of uh, financial giving in this text. We have a teaching on discipleship, and it's a larger teaching to all of discipleship, not just to contributions that are made. And so we will come back to and, and center ourselves around that longer or that larger calling to discipleship. And yet in the midst of that, we know that there's this relationship, some kind of a connection between money, generosity, and devotion. Let's affirm at the start here that giving patterns alone are not the final proof of devotion. One can choose to give out of all kinds of different uh, desires and reasons. So we want to affirm that giving patterns alone are not the final proof of devotion. You can't simply measure how much someone gives and, says, and say, this is how devoted they are. Yet the, there is a significant connection all the same. We know it's in Jesus' teaching. In fact, we have in Luke 6 where Jesus says, blessed are the poor, 
and woe to the rich. We know that Jesus says he's talking to that rich young ruler and, and the, the man has a lot of money and, and he wants to know what he needs to do to be saved and he's been keeping all the law. And Jesus goes, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you go and sell all you have and give it to the poor? Come follow me. We know that something there, there's something in the connection of, of his wealth and, and his devotion to God and the struggle there. And Jesus at some point goes, you know, you can't serve both God and money. So we know that there's some kind of a connection between money, generosity, and devotion. Let's explore a little of that. During this pandemic, one of the things that I've heard from a number of different uh, people is that they've experimented a little bit in their cooking. In fact, I was getting a haircut yesterday. Yes, I got them all cut. That's the old joke. And, 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 but I was talking to my uh, haircutter, and he's been experimenting with his uh, cooking as well. And in fact, yesterday he was making uh, um, a, a cream of carrot soup. Ugh. God bless him. But, but, and I'm sure he mentioned all the spices, and, but still, okay. Well, in our house, we've been experimenting a little bit with recipes uh, over the past months. And, and Vicki, uh, in her usual approach to having fun, is that she kind of sculpted this idea of a YouTube channel. We, we don't really post it to YouTube, but the idea of holding a kind of a show for each meal that we experiment with. She calls it gross or good. Welcome to another episode of gross or good. And then we'd cook whatever it is and we'd try it and we'd either go, oh, that was gross or that was good. So I thought this morning as we were look at this connection and try to understand how maybe some of our ideas about the relationship of money and giving and, and devotion, how it works, maybe we might be able to say broken or biblical. Broken or biblical. So the first of the pairings is this. Broken or biblical. Giving is about sharing what is mine. Giving is about sharing what is mine. How was um, money taught to you as you were growing up? Did your parents encourage you as you uh, did chores or earned allowance or had your first job where, where there's some uh, words of wisdom that were shared with you in terms of, you know, you really should set aside this kind of percentage for long-term savings. And, and maybe this amount you could have to go and spend and enjoy. This amount you can give away. I was a miser. I wanted to hold on to all of it. I liked holding on to all of it. My family came to me for cash when they needed cash if they didn't have cash on them because I held on to all of my money. Well, the Bible seems to tell a different story about whose money it is. There's a thread that runs through Scripture. It goes like this. In Psalm 24, 1, we read, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Deuteronomy 8.18, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You 
are not your own. The Bible says to the 12-year-old or 15-year-old Bob, this isn't your money. He says it also to the 59-year-old Bob, this isn't your money. This isn't your wealth. It belongs to me. God owns everything. God owns everything. And if God owns everything, then our primary relationship with our wealth is that we are stewards or managers of it. And so when we look at a line like giving is about sharing what is mine, that's broken. Giving is about stewarding what belongs to God. There's this story that pastors have used uh, uh, ever since I was a kid and maybe sometime before that as well. I, I actually went back and looked for historical data for this story this past week. And um, it does, it appears uh, online, and if it's online, if it's in the internet, it's got to be true. Um, but it's attributed to two different uh, time periods, and so I really can't tell you if this is actually what happened. But it is a story. It's a great little illustration. You've probably heard some pastors say it before. But the two individuals I heard it connected with, one is Constantine in the 4th century AD. He was the first emperor that became a Christian. And the other association was with Charlemagne. He was in the uh, 8th and 9th century AD, so some 400 years apart. But the story is this, that, that in their experience of baptism, they also wanted their soldiers to be baptized. And so in Constantine, the least of the story I heard associated with him is that the soldiers would ride their horses into the water. And as they were being baptized, that they would hold their swords above the water. That God could have all of who they are, but the sword would belong to them. And so if you've heard this illustration before, you've probably heard a pastor go, well, and we tend to hold our wallets above the water and say, God can have all of me, but I'm going to be in charge of my own money. The Bible says that God owns everything. And that when we receive baptism and we follow Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that God, all of this is yours. We acknowledge your ownership, that it already existed as yours, and now we steward it for your glory. All right, here's our second one. The second question, broken or biblical? Broken or biblical? Giving is about rule-keeping. Rule-keeping. What's your rule for giving? If you were to fill in the blank, as a rule, I give blank. What would you fill in for that, that blank? Maybe for some of us, as a rule, I give nothing. I don't trust institutions. I figure that people, if they work hard enough, they should have enough for their own. So I really don't give anything. Maybe that's our rule. Maybe it's our rule that we give a little. As a rule, I give a little. I, I see that person at the intersection, I'll give them a dollar. If I'm in church, I'll reach into my pocket and see if I have something. And as a rule, I give a little. Maybe our rule is that we give some. Maybe it's our sense of, you know, it's important to give, so I'll give some. I'll, I'll, I'll give an amount. And maybe our rule is that I'll give a tithe. Maybe we, we read something in the Old Testament. Maybe we've seen it continue in the, in the New Testament, this idea of giving a tenth to God off the top line of our income. And we go, you know what, as a rule, I'm going to do that. And that's my rule. 
Or maybe we've gotten to the point, we're at that point where we're going, you know, this is my rule. I'm going to give a tithe, and then I'm going to give a little bit extra more. And we almost wear it as a merit badge, a badge of honor, almost like a robe of a scribe. Well, I give a tithe and a little bit more. But what if giving isn't about rule keeping at all? There's this uh, part of the letter in 2 Corinthians, so one of the letters that Paul had for the Corinthian church, where he says, you know, you're going to have to decide, each person's going to have to decide in their heart what they're going to give. And they ought to give cheerfully. It's interesting in our decisions to give, what I find, and maybe this is my own experience, but what I find is that we make that decision to give some time ago, and we come up with our rule, and we very seldom, if ever, revisit that decision. And so we come up with our rule, I give a little, I give some, I give a tithe, I give a tithe plus, and that's my rule. But what if what if giving isn't about rule-keeping? What if instead giving is about responding to God's grace? A shift, a whole different perspective that giving isn't about keeping some kind of rule like, okay, I've given enough, but we go, what is it to respond to God's grace at work in my life? God's goodness at work in this world. The gift of Jesus Christ, salvation, new life now, the gift of the Holy Spirit What if giving then is in response to that grace that we want to be a part of God's work in this world and his mission to others, that we pursue the justice and righteousness of God near and far? All right, the third one. By the way, if you're you're catching a pattern, um, good on you. It's not that hard of a pattern. Broken or biblical, broken or biblical, giving is about the size of the gift. Giving is about the size of the gift. We can be so enamored by large amounts of money. What if we had somebody in this church that was making a million dollars? And we, we found out that they were giving 50% of their income. Wow, 50% of their income. In fact, we knew that someone in the church was giving $500,000. The temptation to be impressed by the sheer size of both the percentage and the amount. What if there was another individual that was giving 10%? And that 10% amounted to $5,000. Which meant for that individual that they would have $400 plus less every month to cover their expenses. And we can be so enamored with the size that we skip the idea of sacrifice altogether. Jesus looks at the rich giving out of their abundance. And he draws this comparison. He goes, look, she, she's given more with just the gift of the two coins. She gave out of her poverty. I've uh, grown up in a situation where um, my family has always had more than enough money to cover expenses. And I know not everybody, and even in our congregation, has enough to cover expenses. But I grew up in a family that's always been able to cover their expenses. So our giving has always been out of luxury. And it's amazing how I can approach giving out of luxury as a sacrifice. 
well, I could take that kind of vacation, but I can't because I give. Or I, I could buy that kind of car, but I can't because I give. It, and it tends to come out of my luxury rather than out of any necessities. So I feel it as a sacrifice, but in, in reality, it's I'm sacrificing some luxuries that the majority of the people in the world could never even imagine. The hubris, the pretense. Jesus says, for they have given out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. Giving, turns out, is more about the size of sacrifice. Now, be careful here. Because we don't earn God's love by making a massive sacrificial gift. We don't earn God's love. God loves us by God's own choice. But our sacrifice, our willingness to sacrifice, here's where the whole discipleship thing comes in. Our willingness, the whole call of discipleship is to lay ourselves out before the Lord and say, I am yours. I am yours to be used for your glory according to your will. Here I am. Send me. Use me. I belong to you. If, it's, if giving is about the size of the gift, it's a money issue. If giving is about the size of sacrifice, it's a heart issue. All right, here's the fourth one. Broken or biblical? Giving is about funding. Giving is about funding. Now, churches, we, we love funding. We, we go after it. We love building campaigns. In fact, for centuries and centuries and centuries, the church has been about their building campaigns. We like to build things, and we like to then put together extra focus on raising more and more cash for whatever that funding thing is, whatever we're trying to fund. And we put together brochures, and we have smaller meetings, and we have intense conversations because we want to fund this thing, or this program, or, or this year's budget. Or... And so we sell the congregation on it. And then if people like the project, or they like what's going on in the church, they might give. There's this teaching in the Old Testament about God establishing the priests, the tribe of Levi, as priests. And the Levites were not given any part of the land. So they didn't have any way to grow uh, their crop. They didn't have any way to pasture their animals. Uh, they were to serve as priests on behalf of all the other people and before God and on God's behalf toward the people. And the people then were to provide for the priests through their offerings. But we have clarity on what the relationship of this giving is in Numbers 18, verse 24. It reads like this, For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Do you get the relationship that the people give a tithe as a contribution to the Lord. This was the, the money for the priests to use for their ministry, that they would give a tithe to, to, the, uh, to the Lord, who would then give it to the priests as their inheritance. The giving is directed primarily to God. Primarily 
firstly, focusedly to God. It may fund things, absolutely. There are great mission things to fund in this world. There are great things going on in our church to fund, absolutely, but it's not primarily about funding. Giving is primarily about worshiping. We give to the Lord, not just to projects. The fifth one is this, broken or biblical. Broken or biblical, giving is about power. Now, if you've been tracking with the gospel story at all, you're going to get this one correct, right? You you just know, of course, it's not about power, and yet we can be tempted to behave as though it is. Gosh, over the course of, of my lifetime, I've seen it so many different times, people choosing to withhold money from churches when they don't like certain policies or decisions taking place. And I get it. I get the temptation. I understand that temptation. It's huge. We disagree with something. We get frustrated that it's not going our way. We can even get angry. And we can feel like we have no control and no influence over the decision. And we want our way. So we're going to choose to withhold our money. We're going to choose to uh, punish the church until, until the leaders change their mind. And by the way, there can be times. There can be t- we know that Jesus had said to his disciples when he sent them out, and he said, listen, if they don't receive you, if they don't wel- wel- welcome you in, you can shake the dust off your feet. And there may come a time when a congregation is no longer preaching the word, when the congregation is no longer lifting up the name of Jesus Christ, where it can be discerned to go, you know what, this is not glorifying God. But the Bible presents a way of living, a way of discipleship that is so uh, counter to what we do if we think that giving is about power. You know it. You've heard it. Jesus said, hey, if you want to be the greatest, be the least. It's an upside-down approach to power. If you want to have power in this world according to God's economy, would you serve everybody? Jesus, the very heart thing that he prayed for in John 17 was that they would be one, that we would have unity, not division, but that we would be one, even as the Father and the Son are one, that we would be one and not divided, that we would pursue that at all costs, that we would also experience mutual submission, that we would choose it. Paul teaches this, Ephesians 5, 21, that we would submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. When Paul writes to the Corinthians in that second letter that we have in chapter 9, he describes to them that if they're giving, when they give, that they, they will glorify God because of your submission. The NRSV and the NIV have obedience. Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Giving is about submitting not about power it's about submitting to god to the ways of god to the people of god to the needs of others giving has more to do with spirituality than with finances ultimately ultimately all of this the way of discipleship is about responding to the goodness of god to the grace of jesus christ 
This year, we have been focusing on I belong, that, that we wanted to work on, do we all understand that the, that the greatest comfort in our life, our only comfort in life and in death, is that we belong not to ourselves, but to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, that we belong to Him. It's the defining part of our identity. Because God is so good, and He has done so much for us, that we belong fully to Him, all of us. Not a wallet held above water that is exempted, but all of who we are. Money is not the only way to measure our devotion. In fact, there can be some concerns if we look to others and try to make judgments about them. But it can very much serve as part of our spiritual dashboard. Jesus said, look, what she's done. It's an incredible thing. Do you get the lesson here? Her whole life, her whole being is given over to God. And maybe we can look at our own spiritual dashboard and we can go, how does my giving, what does it say about my commitment before the Lord, my devotion to God, putting God first above all things? A poor widow with two horribly small coins gives us an incredible picture of devotion, an alternative to the fancy scribes, to the pretentiousness, to the hubris. In Jesus' economy, it was the act of the poor widow that stood out. This week, would you take a look? What if all of us took a look at our giving? And, and from the perspective of what does it reveal to us about our walk with Christ. What, what does it tell? What story does it tell? Not in terms of size of gift, not in terms of, uh, but what does it tell in terms of our story? Has it grown? Has it grown over the past years? Has it, has it shifted to where it's a response to His grace? That even in the midst of our giving, that we would be inspired, we'd be inspired by the story of a poor widow who gave her last two coins. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. You know how messed up we can get with money, especially in our culture, in our consumeristic culture. You know how, how much we can get messed up with it. We know that in our own country, we've got the haves and the have-nots, and, and we can be so protective about our own position or so accusing of someone else's position. But God... It is our desire that, that even in our relationship with our wealth, the wealth that you have allowed us to have, the, the wealth that really belongs to you, that even in our relationship with it, that you would be glorified. Free up our eyes, free up our ears to, to see and to hear how you would have us steward what belongs to you. Even now, if there are crusty, solidified parts of our heart that need to be softened, would you do that work? That we would see how we might respond to your goodness even through our giving. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.